The reading today is from Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 to 11, and is found on page 68 in our church Bible. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with a head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I'm not a farmer, um, but I'm told by farmers that they don't name their animals. Uh, A, because probably some of them have got flocks that are too big to name them, uh, but nobody wants to eat an animal that they've named. You don't want to become friendly with an animal and then uh, later it's on the dinner table. But that's, in a way, what actually happens here in our Bible reading. I don't know whether you've picked up that detail that each person was to, uh, each family was to find a lamb, take a perfect lamb in, care for it on day 10 through to day 14. And then they were to kill it and eat it all up. Little lamb running around. Uh, Somebody, Megan, who uh, does know a little bit about lamb says, yeah, don't worry, at a year old, they're not that good looking. So probably not as bad as if they were a little baby. But this is actually an image of a lamb that's central to something that becomes core to uh, Judaism, uh, but it actually also, uh, as I'll speak about today, Jesus takes it and gives it new meaning. The lamb that is central to our passage today Uh, But more importantly, it's actually the blood of the Lamb that's important to our passage today. So last week I was speaking to us about the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the whole world. John the Baptist uh, sees Jesus and says, this is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the whole world. And it's a particular image that's used mainly by John the Baptist, but it's actually become an image uh, that is... uh, pivotal to Christian vocabulary, 
and we've put it into Christian art, this idea of the Lamb of God. And, you know, we, we have some images, I noticed as I was looking around the church stained glass this week, uh, we have some images that have lambs in them, but most of the images we have in our church are more those images tying Jesus as the Good Shepherd and therefore He's holding a lamb to represent Him as the Good Shepherd. But for this image this week, I'm really talking centrally about Jesus as the Lamb of God. There's more to this image than I can unpack today, but don't worry, we've got a couple of weeks until uh, Easter and we'll be talking about that over the coming weeks. So as we dig deeper into this passage today, where the Lamb is the central image, we're also going to be exploring the theme of Passover. Now, the Passover was a historical event. At the end of this passage that Jill just read out for us, um, the events that's just described, it says, this was the Lord's Passover. It is the time where the Jewish people who are in uh, captivity in Egypt actually are liberated and are freed from slavery, which I'll talk about in a moment. And then from generation to generation, this, this extended passage of Exodus says, that they are to celebrate it from generation to generation and the Jewish people do that. So this Passover event, which is a historical event, actually becomes a celebration and almost becomes a liturgy for the, the Hebrews, for the Israelites, for what we would probably call the Jewish people. By the time you get to Jesus, uh, they're actually celebrating it not in haste, Remember, it says you're to eat this Passover standing up because they're about to flee. By the time you get to Jesus, and we'll talk about this on uh, Holy Thursday night before, um, they're actually eating it reclining because they're not a slave people, they're now a liberated people. So they don't have to eat it in haste, they can eat it uh, sitting down casually. But this uh, symbol uh, for Jewish people you can still travel anywhere there's a Jewish community in the world today and they'll celebrate it. So I was in uh, Israel uh, doing a study tour and they celebrated Passover. So there are uh, Jewish communities that still celebrate Passover. And the symbols of the Passover are, are predominantly today, they're the lamb, the bitter herbs and the unleavened bread. And, and really today I'm going to focus on what the lamb means but just briefly, uh, the bitter herbs are actually there to kind of put that bitter taste in your mouth and remind you of the bitter taste of being in slavery. And so the bitter herbs remind the people who celebrate Passover that they were once slaves. And the flatbread, uh, which is without yeast and doesn't have time to rise, it's, it's a reminder that this is done in haste. And so therefore they didn't have time for the for the dough to rise, they just had to cook it up and eat it. And the Passover reminds all the people who celebrate it of a particular event in the life of the ancient Hebrews. And there are two themes that are central to the idea of uh, Passover. The first one is sacrifice and the second one is liberation. Sacrifice and liberation. So the first one is sacrifice. Now, the, 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 the ancient Hebrews didn't inv invent sacrifice. Sacrifice was something that uh, almost every uh, culture has, every religious practice has throughout most of human history. 
cultures and religious uh, followings have had some idea of sacrifice. There are cultures such as the ancient Babylonians that actually offered human sacrifice. And there were all types of, right across this whole area, not just uh, in Egypt, uh, in, in Babylon, and a, a whole range of areas in this whole area, there are all types of different sacrifices. There are some that are animals sacrificed. There are some that are grain sacrifices. There are harvest sacrifices. There are even objects that are sacrificed uh, to their uh, deities. And so the ancient Egypt, the ancient Egyptians, they offered a range of sacrifices and they had multiple different gods. And so they would sacrifice to communicate to these multiple different gods. And each god of theirs demanded a different sacrifice. So if you wanted to talk to a particular god, you had to offer something in sacrifice. You want to talk to a different god, you have to offer something different in sacrifice. And I'm not really going to cover it now, but a little bit of background, the, the, the ten plagues that are listed just before this, that's actually God of Israel, Yahweh, our God, saying that he has power over all the domains of these other Egyptian gods. So the Nile and uh, the harvest and all these other gods, our God has power over all of those. That's what the ten plagues represent, but that's a sermon for another day. Well, thankfully, in our world today, we've pretty much done away with animal sacrifice. There are probably some places that still do it. And thankfully, we've done away with human sacrifice. But there are places in the world, if you go today, that they still do sacrifices. They're probably more palatable than what we would think about. Um, if you go to a Buddhist community uh, somewhere around the world, and when Lisa and I travelled into Vietnam, um, at, at times when they want to get a good harvest, they'll put a little gift basket together and they'll put it out somewhere, and that's a sacrifice to the, the God of the harvest, that they would have a good harvest. And um, I don't know why, but apparently in Vietnam, the, the God of the harvest likes Johnny Walker. So they'll actually put out Johnny Walker bottles um, to, to sacrifice to the, the God of the harvest. Now, I'm not sure whether that's true or not, but that's what they, they tend to do. A lot of times in our world today, but probably even back in these times, the sacrifices are asking for good luck, good prosperity, particularly it's tied to crops and to harvest time. The ancient Hebrews, they were slaves in Egypt for about 400 years when we get to this reading. And they would have witnessed sacrifices that the Egyptians did to their multiple different gods. And this included, um, as we know from our history, this sacrifice included locking up uh, people into the pyramids so that when the kings or the royalty uh, woke up, from the dead, that there would be people to serve them. And so the Egyptians uh, knew what it was to uh, offer sacrifice. And just prior to our Bible reading today, the Hebrews are told that Yahweh, their God, is going to liberate them from slavery and the events of this Passover is part of that. The Lord God will come through the streets at night and punish the Egyptians uh, who have worshipped false gods and kept God's people in slavery. And God will pass over the homes of the Hebrews that have painted their doors with the blood of the Lamb. 
in ancient times, there were some sacrifices uh, that demanded what they call a blood sacrifice. They were usually to pay the price for an act that was so heinous or so grievous that uh, it, it, it required the punishment of death. And so rather than actually killing the human being that had caused the, 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 um, the act, what people in this time would do is they would kill an animal so that the blood sacrifice had been paid. And this is the imagery that's at play here, that there are some things that are so grievous that it demands a blood sacrifice. And God is saying he's going to offer the lamb as a blood sacrifice to pay for the sins of all the people. So the Hebrews, who were slaves for 400 years, had also grown sinful. Some of them had actually started to follow the ways of the Egyptians. Some of them had actually uh, offered sacrifice to the Egyptian gods for good luck. And so actually, even though the, the focus of this is actually what happens to the firstborn of the Egyptians, it's also protection for those Hebrews who had been sinful as well. Notice that the plagues fall on the house of the Egyptians, but this one is going to fall on any house that doesn't have the blood of the lamb over it. And so that would be, the blood of the lamb would be their way of communicating to their God, our God, that they were repentant and that they'd sacrificed a lamb and put the blood of the lamb on the doorway to tell God that they were sorry for their sins and they'd repented from their sins. So God had asked for the sacrifice of a lamb in the place of their sin. The other thing that comes out of this, this uh, idea of Passover is liberation. The sacrifice of a lamb is indicating liberation. The ancient Hebrews, after the Passover, were actually liberated from slavery. They were to eat the meal dressed, ready to escape. If you're eating a meal casually at your dining room table, you don't have all of those things. But if you're going to escape slavery, that's what you would do. Someone preparing for an escape gets ready with all the things they need so that they can leave quickly. God would use these 10 plagues that symbolise authority over the Egyptian gods to soften the hearts of the Egyptians so they will let them go. And after the final plague, the death of the firstborn children and animals, Pharaoh lets the people go. Finally, the Hebrews are liberated from captivity. These 10 plagues also remind the Hebrews who had worshipped Egyptian gods that their God, Yahweh, had authority over all gods. The first Passover event would be a sign to these Hebrews as they escaped Egypt, that they were liberated from slavery. also showed them that their God had authority over all false gods, but also the events of Passover would also remind them that they were liberated from their sin. Now, in the New Testament, Jesus will take this symbol of the blood sacrifice and liberation and give it new meaning in himself. As we'll see in the weeks ahead, the Jewish people had to continually atone for sin. Whilst they're liberated from slavery, the issue of sin still continues in their lives. And so, whilst they celebrate the Passover once off for the sacrifice to liberate them from slavery, 
they would have to continually making sacrifice to atone for their sins, both in the tabernacle and in the temple later on in Jerusalem. Future generations would celebrate the Passover that involved the lamb and reminded them that God rescued them from slavery, but they still had the issue of sin. The issue of sin was still there and present and they needed liberation from this sin. And so God sends Jesus as the promised Messiah, the Christ, to take away the sins of the whole world. Jesus wants to offer the greatest liberation, not just liberation from slavery, but he wants to offer the, the liberation from sin and death itself. Jesus will become the lamb that will give up his blood for the liberation of everyone who believes in Jesus. The blood of Jesus will become the new symbol for Christians. In Christian art, it's pretty hard to portray the blood of Jesus and that's why the cross starts to take over as a dominant symbol for Christianity. Not the lamb, because of the image might be tied to Jesus the Good Shepherd, but the cross becomes the symbol of Jesus shedding his blood in a sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. It's so much harder for us to paint our doorposts with blood but it's easy for us to put a cross on the wall to show that we are people who stand under the liberation of the blood sacrifice of Jesus. So this reading, I, I do admit, has some issues for contemporary readers. Uh, there are some things about this that might have uh, trouble for us. Now, we have a degree of distance from the way in which we get meat, don't we? Like, I, I don't know about you, maybe you go farm to table, but I just walk down to Woolies and I walk into Woolies and there's a whole lot of sections of chicken nicely uh, packaged up and I don't have to think about where those chickens came from. The same if I want my beef or I want my lamb. I, I'm detached from the hard work of how we get our meat. But there are people who aren't. Farmers have to clean up... Uh, dead animals on their property all the time. They lose animals all the time. It's, it's, it's not a one-to-one. -one. Peter's nodding. And if you, if you talk to people who've been on a farm, they know that this is a reality. And so, I actually think that we hear these ideas of animal sacrifice and blood and, and in our, you know, Western sensibilities, we freak out about it and I'm aware that that might freak out some people in the room. I don't know about you, but I'm so glad that priests don't have to do blood sacrifice anymore because even when I cut myself, I struggle with the blood from that. Imagine having to paint a whole door frame with blood. So, there are some things that we are outraged about when it comes to blood references and sacrifice references in the Bible. That particularly these passages where uh, the, the priest would have to sacrifice animals and pour the blood all over. Even the images of being washed clean by the blood of the lamb is an image that we in our Western sensibilities would find quite confronting. We sing, about, we sing songs about being washed clean by the blood of the lamb, but we use it as a metaphor and we don't take it literally. I mean, if I even wanted to 
not that I will, but if I wanted to recreate Passover by, by sacrificing a lamb here, not only would you all be outraged, which you should be, but it'd probably be making it to the papers and society would be outraged. So these an- events of animal sacrifice on Passover and the things that happened in the temple, they happened between 2,000 and 4,000 years ago and we'd have to agree that society was a vastly different society back then. We've changed and there's some good reasons why we've changed. But what do we do when we read some things in the Bible that we would find in our 2024 Western sensibilities confronting? Well, I think what we have to do is read the Bible through a theological lens rather than read the Bible through a 2024 outrage culture lens. We have to interpret the Bible read the hard things, but not distance ourselves from some of the theological principles, even though we might distance ourselves from from the actual events that happen. We don't sacrifice lambs anymore, but we also don't want to do away with the atoning sacrifice theology of Jesus. So, the events of the Passover of Exodus 12 represent for us a theological idea that God liberates His people from slavery through the sacrifice of a blood of a lamb. In 2024, we might find it a weird thing to talk about blood sacrifice, but I don't want us to shy away from the theological application that Jesus becomes the Lamb of God who sacrifices His own blood to liberate all of us from the power of sin and death. Thankfully, uh, when we remember what Jesus did on the cross, it doesn't involve the sacrifice of a lamb anymore. For modern readers of the Bible, it's actually the Lord's Supper, which we'll celebrate today, that actually becomes the Passover, the connection point that connects us to the events of what Jesus did. So, hopefully, you can see that the parallels between Jesus and the lamb sacrifice of Exodus, but I'll just unpack it a little bit further for us. The first Passover and is the events leading up to the liberation of the Hebrews from the power of slavery. The events leading up to the crucifixion of Jesus are the liberation of all people from the power of sin. I think it's on purpose that Jesus chooses the, the week of Passover to be the week where He takes up His cross. Jesus is offering up Himself on the cross the very time where Jewish households right across Jerusalem are sacrificing a lamb to celebrate the first Passover. They're recreating the first Passover at the time where Jesus is taking that image and giving it new meaning through His sacrifice of His own blood on the cross. So, now we can understand why John the Baptist would look at Jesus and say, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world. Just before Jesus died, Jesus celebrated the Passover with His disciples. And you can imagine He's sitting there and they would have had a lamb, they would have had the bitter herbs, they would have had the the flatbread and he is there and notice, well you will notice later on when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, instead of the image that the disciples might think, which he's going to take the lamb and give it new meaning, 
he doesn't use the lamb, he actually takes the bread and he breaks the bread and says, this will be my body broken for you. I think what Jesus is actually saying, we don't have to shed blood to create bread. What Jesus is saying to his disciples is, once my blood is shed on the cross, you don't have to sacrifice a lamb anymore to remember me. Jesus is saying, the blood will be shed, we don't need to shed blood anymore. And I think, at least as the person who celebrates this uh, with you all, I'm glad that we don't have to uh, slaughter a lamb in order to celebrate this uh, Lord's Supper with Jesus. So instead of the lamb sitting in front of him, Jesus takes the bread and he's saying that that will be the thing that reminds us that his body was broken for us. And instead of taking the blood of the lamb, he takes the cup which has wine in it and says, this cup will be the symbol of my blood. And so in our 2024 Western sensibilities, we have two symbols that are much more palatable to us. We don't have to have the blood of a lamb, but we have the bread and the wine. And Jesus will celebrate the Lord's Supper and it will be a reminder to all his disciples and generations upon generations that the blood of his uh, life was shed for the sins of the whole world. And finally, there's two things to note that are parallels with this. First is, just like the Jewish people had a lamb for their family and they had to celebrate in a family the first Passover and then for generations upon generations, the family celebrated the Passover, the Lord's Supper is a community event. We celebrate the Lord's Supper as a community, as a family. Whatever your background in different denominations, I know that there are some where they do celebrate the Lord's Supper individually, but the Lord's Supper is a community event. The Passover was a community event, a family event, the Lord's Supper is a community event and that's why we celebrate it together as a community. And secondly, the Jewish people celebrated Passover year after year, but they were only liberated from slavery once. Each time they celebrated the Passover, they're remembering that they were liberated. And we too, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, and we do it every fortnight, some churches do it every week, some churches do it every month, um, but when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we remember the sacrifice of Jesus, but we don't re-sacrifice Jesus. Jesus is not re-sacrificed here. The death on the cross was a once perfect, sufficient sacrifice for the sins of the whole world and when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're remembering that. So when we come to the table today, I want us to remember that Jesus died for us. We're not just remembering the events of the Last Supper, we're remembering the whole life death and resurrection of Jesus. So when we come to the Lord's Supper this, uh, this morning, I want you to keep that imagery in mind. I'm going to invite us to keep going with the rest of the service.